This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. With thousands of vulnerabilities reported and classified each year, it can be challenging to keep track of which exploits are actually being used by threat actors. Researchers with Recorded Futures Insect Group have been exploring this issue, and one of their key findings is that less sophisticated threat actors often resort to using older vulnerabilities with easily accessible resources and tutorials. Greg Lesnowich is a threat intelligence researcher at Recorded Future, and he joins us with insights on the tactics, techniques, and procedures commonly seen from these threat actors, the likely motivation behind them, and what security professionals can do to best protect their networks against them. Stay with us. So we've we've put out a report for a number of years talking about the most exploited um, vulnerabilities year over year um, based based on our visibility, and we sort of wanted to pivot a little bit from that and continue to publish that finding that we you know other people in the industry seem to have found useful and dig into a little corner of it. Um, one of the things that frankly drew our team to it was that we we really don't have um, a ton of visibility into when something goes from being an actor testing it to it being used in an incident until it pops up somewhere else online. And, and you know, someone can discuss it um, for a lot of mm. that. And so where we really wanted to focus was instead of, um, you know, right of boom, after all, you know, the incidents have happened and what was the most exploited, what are people trying uh, to exploit? And, you know, really the foundations of this this tooling. And so... We went and attempted to do that, um, focusing on things that were very obvious tests, exploit code, um, to get an understanding of the volume of what's being tested, you know, things that are, I would call very obvious tests. And we have a couple of different metrics for that. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get the biggest, um, most repeatable data set for this, not necessarily having the most... Um, Precise is the wrong term, but I, I think having a, you know, we're not trying to spot the advanced adversary with this um, that is trying to subtly test their code in virus total over time. But, you know, hmm. the average actor that is going to be involved in the average intrusion um, at your average enterprise. Um, and right, we think you're... that a lot of that volume data um, sometimes gets overlooked. So that was uh, the spawn of, of this project. Yeah. So we're kind of looking at those day to day. I don't know, work-a-day cyber criminals who are uh, out there as a regular nuisance. Yep, correct. Um, and, yeah. you know, previous time in um, SOC and IR gigs myself, I, I saw a lot more of that than I did of, you know, any high-end cyber criminal uh, or APT stuff. Well, this report really walks through it step-by-step. Uh, step. Why don't we go through it together? C- can you take us through uh, what you've laid out here? Sure. Um, one of the things uh, that, that we really tried to understand um, was what makes an adversary choose um, a given exploit uh, to target their spam list or you know the enterprise that they're interested in targeting. And we sort of stepped through that in the manner of identifying you know not only whether it's the exploit or the platform that they'd like to target, pivoting from there to understand if if they're reverse engineering um, you know the the platform itself to try and find a weakness in it, 
um, whether that's through, you know, comparing to a patched and unpatched version of the software uh, or, you know, through other fuzzing techniques and then building something around that to exploit it. Um, so they find uh, an obvious weakness um, in this platform or the software, presumably something that's used by a, a whole lot of people. Hence the finding most of the stuff is Microsoft um, and Microsoft Office focused. And so from that, then they, the, you know, the adversary then builds out, you know, which can include red teamers and pen testers um, and general um, security practitioners. This isn't just, you know, the, the quote unquote bad guys. Um, and from there, they have to then develop code that is actually able to exploit um, the weakness that they found. And then they have to test it. So uh, they have to verify that not only does their code run, but it has the expected outcome of poking a hole uh, in that weakness to then allow you know, whatever downstream effects they want, whether that's executing um, other code on the victim host, whether that's downloading another file, whether that's gaining um, additional privileges on the victim host. And now uh, from our visibility, um, the code testing was the biggest area of that that, that, we ha- that we could see and really gather data on. And it is, has, the, has the double benefit of it's not only the actors that go through that whole process to you know, identify products that have weaknesses in them and then write exploits for them, but then also people that are just trying to shoehorn already exploitive code uh, you know, that someone else has already taken the time to build um, into their own program. Well, let's let's dig into some of the details of each of these sections. I mean, when you're talking about identification, one of the things you point out is that quite often the criminals are a bit ahead of the game versus the general public. They they have a, a little bit of lead time. Yep, they typically do. Um, and you know, some of that I speculate comes from the fact that someone will mention that they've exploited uh, a client using a vulnerability that isn't uh, public yet. But I think for the most part, they they keep very much keep their ear to the ground and have their own, for lack of a better term, data gathering processes. It is it is frankly much simpler um, for a lot of them to turn something um, that is you know deemed a critical vulnerability into exploitive code than it is for a massive enterprise to put mitigations in place uh, or patch for it. the The term that often gets used for a lot of these things is is one day vulnerabilities. So a patch. After a patch gets issued, actors will then go um, and try and find a way to exploit that. Obviously, that it tends to lean a little bit on the higher end skill, um, but we do see a number of different um, legitimate security uh, companies providing their own proof of concept code for those things as well. Um, hmm. And so we, you know, we've seen with the Australian government coming out and, and naming um, an unnamed actor set the copy and paste campaign because they kept reusing other people's exploit code. And so they, they're very rapid to, to weaponize these things. And, you know, that, that speed allows them a whole heap of uh, industries and enterprises that they can target. And so uh, to be clear, when you're talking about looking at the patches to, to find the weaknesses, I suppose what you're describing is that the patches themselves are kind of a roadmap to where the vulnerability is. It, indeed. Um, I'm trying to think of an accurate term for this. It, you know, they yeah. can take the two. They can take the two programs and effectively um, highlight the differences between the code, and then you know, sort of in the way that you know people in our industry would reverse engineer malware to understand its functionality. They would sort of do the same thing for those differences um, in code. Uh, obviously, for things like Microsoft Office or uh, you know the Windows operating system, 
these are huge files that are pretty resource intensive to have, you know, the host go through and, you know, the, the term is diff effectively to, to spot, you know, programmatically spot the differences um, mm-hmm. in the code. But that's effectively the, you know, the, the newly patched code will generally, um, you know, it won't necessarily be commented saying this is where the fix lives. Um, it won't, it won't necessarily live um, in plain English, but some uh, very clever and determined adversaries that, maybe have a little bit of uh self-hate can can definitely dive in and uh <laughs> figure out figure out what changed um and weaponize that. Right, right, a little too much time on their hands yep. or uh, <laughs> Yep. Well, I, you you dig into something here when we're talking about um finding the weaknesses. You talk about um fuzzing. Can you can you sort of uh, describe that for us? What are we talking about with that? Uh yeah, fuzzing is, you know, an automated method to effectively test how a program responds to different inputs, um, and you know that could be across a litany of things. Whether how the program is started, you know, so obvious, the, most people are familiar with the double click, but is it launched by um, you know a command line process instead, and all the way through all the different um, programmatic inputs that a file can take um, to see if they can generate or cause the program to crash, um, and typically the crash can can give them some insight as to Oh, that's interesting. What was the last thing that was input automatically um, to test if this would crash? It allows them to to then sort of troubleshoot and be like, "Oh, this was the problematic code." Okay, interesting. What? Mm. And then go from there and see what's handling it, um, that input right. code, and figure out um, what allowed it to break. Uh, and then you know, really sift through the data and and find um, a more specific target in there. So I suppose that every crash is a potential. Uh, attack surface. Yep. E- even if it is just you know you know crashing the program with with relative ease, I'm sure that there are all uh, we've all experienced that with you know apps on our computers or smartphones that you learn after a couple times. Oh, okay, I can't click these two buttons too quickly after one another because then the program freezes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is just abusing that um, in a systematic programmatic way. Yeah, another thing that you point out here is this whole notion that um, there's a cost-benefit factor here, that the, the bad guys, you know, it has to be worth it to them in, in terms of, you know, do they use off-the-shelf tools? Do they develop their own tools, something in the middle? Uh, that's part of this whole equation. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's a, a general conversation in our industry right now about, um, you know, open source security tooling. Um, and, and I think that the, the challenge for defenders is that it offers these actors um, a free and well-maintained code base for this exploitation to happen. Obviously, developing custom code is an expensive endeavor, um, you know, even, if, even from just a time basis, um, let alone having to, if you're paying someone to do it. And so typically, you know, you want to get the most, you, you're a business at the end of the day, whether you are um, operating for a criminal entity operating on your own or operating um, under, uh, you know, more targeted data stealing operations, the, the more easily that you can conduct something without getting caught, you know, you're going to lean towards doing that. Um, the more targeted something gets, generally the more expensive it'll be. And so if you don't need to use the hyper expensive thing um, and you can use the free thing, you know, maybe that even saves you developing the expensive custom exploit it, it allows you to have a very big return on investment. And, you know, for the free open source tooling that's out there and some of the commercial off-the-shelf stuff, 
um, both in, in terms of general um, cybersecurity, you know, offensive tooling, um, as well as the exploit tooling, um, you know, stuff that's even free out there. You know, the return on investment is huge because they haven't paid anything for it um, other than trying to learn how to use it themselves uh, or implement that code base into their their own malware. Yeah. Help me understand the, the testing process here, because I, I imagine that uh, these folks have to be careful that uh, if they're running unproven code, if they go out into the world and try to use that on things, if, if the code is not correct, well, it, it shines a light on them. It might be that the jig is up. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, part of it is, is verifying that their code works. Um, and we see other actors using a, a test bed like VirusTotal um, to determine if their code, you know, is, is undetectable to most antivirus companies. And in this instance, we see it much more leaning towards, does this exploit the thing that I expected to exploit or does it fail to run? And a lot of times, whether you are then selling that capability downstream to someone else, uh, or if you're going to use it in your own intrusions, you want to verify before before you get somewhere, you know, and you send you, you do all the work of sending the phishing emails and all that those sorts of things that your that you know your your glass cutter works, um, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that you're able to you know get in in the way that you expect to, and not have to rely on a other tooling or b. Um, sit there in a panic and say, oh, well, the rest of my plan worked and I'm just sort of stuck here um, in, in limbo without being able to exploit my target. Right, right. We spent all this money on the on the phishing side and now there's no way for us to follow through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the take-homes for you? What do you hope people uh, leave, uh, leave with after they've read through this research? Um, I think I think a couple of things. One, um, I, I hope that other folks, you know, on the vendor side or in the industry can take this as, you know, a little bit of a base to work off of. Um, and maybe that's finding, call it sexier iterations of much more targeted malware uh, or particular actors that are doing this testing, um, you know, through various artifacts that they leave behind in the malware. And I think from a vulnerability side, we see sort of two pockets of uh, activity. One of them is obviously much more recent vulnerabilities. Curveball uh, was obviously the most recent and the most tested um, among our data set. The, the weakness in the Windows OS uh, related to how it handles uh, code signing certificates. And the interesting thing is that we then saw a continued amount of testing of much older exploits, um, you know, things that were written and released in 2012. My, my big takeaway from that is knowing where to focus your defenses. You know, you can, you can handle an incident, um, I think, that's very targeted that comes in and targets, you know, the latest CVE because there's so much data around it and it's such a rare occurrence that you can get, you know, you can put your best team on it, for lack of a better term, or your best analyst or whatever inside of an enterprise. And the rest of this stuff has been around long enough um, that you, it's still helpful to know that it's still being targeted um, but I think that that lands much more in the actors continue to have interest in it, whether that's red team, pen testers, and, you know, quote unquote, real adversaries. But it is ripe, I think, for automation um, in the manner of either detection. You know, I, I hate to just come tell people, oh, patch, that's the best solution um, in, a, in a big <laughs> enterprise. Hurt, that isn't, right? <laughs> in a big enterprise, that isn't always a, a realistic answer. Um, yeah, I yeah. Having seen uh, an enterprise attempt 
fortunately, um, patch the vulnerability that ended up being used in WannaCry, um, the SMB vulnerability, about two months before WannaCry hit. Uh, I understand the value of it, but there were 24,000 hosts that they had to patch, and it was a few-month-long project. You know, knowing that these are the vulnerabilities that actors are going to target, um, there are other mitigations that you can put in place, whether that's IDS alerts, if that's endpoint alerting, um, if that's pulling data from recorded future, or you know your preferred threat intel vendor um, to help you defend, or even you know something as simple as a Yara rule that hit you know sits on your mailbox to filter inbound mail that looks like it exploits that code. You know, being able to take that big pile of of you know old exploits that people are going to continue to abuse and sort of put it off to the side and say, okay, we have enough mitigations in place so that we can for these things because we know actors still love them, um, and we can focus on you know, the actors that have uh, the time and the money to invest into more custom tooling. And I think that sort of just fits into the uh, the general recorded future umbrella of we're going to help you handle, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and particularly this noisy, um, high signal, high noise stuff that is, you know, just breaking down, you know, trying to knock on your door every day and help you just, you know, make sense of it. Um, block it and keep it from affecting your environment and, you know, providing the context that comes with it. Our thanks to Recorded Futures' Greg Lesnowich for joining us. There's more information on the Recorded Future website. You can find the article titled Behind the Scenes of the Adversary Exploit Process. That's at recordedfuture.com. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 